This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 267. And the quote of the day is from Marty Robbins, who said, Every day is a good day to be alive, whether the sun's shining or not. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I got three things that I want to tell you before we get into this conversation with Tristan Bowden. So three things. Don't fast forward. There's three sort of uh, important things I want to let you know. Number one, Drum Magazine is giving away a free six-month subscription for the Drummer's Resource Podcast listeners. So you can get that by going to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine. And that'll redirect you to Drum's site and they will, you can sign up, enter all your information and they will send you six months of Drum Magazine, digital and print in the United States and then digital outside of the United States. Check that out at drummersresource.com forward slash magazine. Numero due. Number two is that I am vlogging now under my own, under my personal name just to keep you know, keep it separate from drummer's resource after asking everyone of whether I should combine my social media channels or combine the things or keep them separate. Everyone said, or the majority of people said I should keep them separate. So the vlog stuff is about the, about behind the scenes stuff that's going on and day to day of drummer's resource and this podcast network that I'm growing and all that other stuff. So if you want to follow any of that, you can follow my personal accounts. Everything is the Nick Ruffini. So on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then you can just search Nick Ruffini on YouTube. I started the vlog uh, a couple of days ago, but I'm going to be doing like frequent upload uh, video uploads on there. So that is number two. If you want to follow that, I'm not going to promote it on the drummers resource channel because like I said, everyone said that I should keep them separate. So I'm going to keep them separate. Number three, I got an email from Ira who was saying that I used to build a lot of backstory and context with the guests that I was having on. And I've not been doing that lately. So I guess I'm taking it for granted that I already know who these drummers are because I've done all the research, not thinking about you guys who may not know who they are or may have heard the name, but not quite sure uh, who they are, what they do, who they play with, the things that they've accomplished. So from now on, I will be building in that backstory. I'm going to give you a rundown of the guests that I'm having, like, or I'm going to give you a rundown of their career before we get into the conversation with them. We'll still build a little bit of content text inside of the interview. But for those of you who want to hear more about them, I'm going to do that in the beginning of every one of the conversations. So one, Ira, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I, it never even crossed my mind. So without feedback like that, I don't know. So if there's anything that you're hearing or that you like me to do more of or that you dislike about the podcast, let me know because I'm, I'm totally open to changes. I'm totally open to the feedback. And again, Ira, thank you for emailing me. And I'm going to make that change right now with, with Tris and Bo. So uh, again, thank you. And let me get into a little bit of context and a little bit of backstory on Tris and Bowden. So Tris currently is the drummer for Chicago. He's been doing that since 1990, but he has 
also been a studio uh, a studio guy for years. He's recorded stuff with Neil Diamond, Kenny Loggins, Firefall, Richard Marks, Steve Vai, Roger Daltrey, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And then on tour, he's been a touring drummer as well, playing with Kenny Loggins and Al Jarreau, Shaka Khan, Firefall, Michael McDonald, uh, Los Lobotomies, and other really notable groups. And also, as a full-time band member, Tristan Bowden's career has included Honk, the Kenny Loggins Band, including Who's Right, Who's Wrong, featuring Michael Jackson. That's a six-time platinum number one hit. Uh, Footloose and I'm All Right from Caddyshack. And he's also you know, been the full-time member of Chicago since 1990. And his career with Chicago has seen the release of 13 albums, several of them certified as platinum. And he was just recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So Tris has a career that spans a wide variety of not only genres, but also just a wide variety of of artists and he has done so many great things he's been influential to so many people and nate wood who we've had who i had on the podcast was talking about how influential tris was to him so he has without a doubt cemented himself in rock and roll history and it shows by the fact that he is in the rock and roll hall of fame so without further ado i want to get into it with the man the myth the legend mr tris imboden Chris, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh man, it's great to be here, Nick. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. I have a lot of a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Uh, there's there's some other guests who have cited you as as influence and all sorts of stuff. We're going to get into that. Um, I always like to build backstory with with the guests so that the audience understands where you're coming from. And I read something interesting that you said. You said, I remember the day that, that my dad took me to a 4th of July parade in Huntington Beach and the marching band came down the street and the cadence wow. that they were playing almost made me hysterical. I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. The drum section was just smoking. I was deeply moved, but I knew that moment that that was what I was going to have to do. From that point on, I was always t- drawn toward the drums. And tell me about that because I've been in situations where I'm listening to music and I, and that I use, I've never, I never understood how to express it. And you said it, that you were hysterical and didn't know how to, didn't know if you were going to laugh or cry. So tell me, (laughs) so tell me about that. Like you put us, put us there. Okay. Well, gee, I think I'm Nick. I may have been all of five years old Uh and I remember it like really kind of vividly. Uh, I was, I was with my father and, uh, it was the 4th of July, I believe, Huntington beach. And, uh, I was living, uh, you know, always kind of lived near the beach or at the beach my entire life. And my dad just, uh, on a lark, I don't know what precipitated my mother not being there, but I just remember it was my dad and I, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, parades, I was five years old and, uh, Gee, a Fourth of July parade was something I'd never experienced before. So, in addition to all the you know pageantry, then hearing these drummers come by, man, it was the most singularly the most powerful thing I'd ever heard in my life. Hmm. And and I, I inherently you know, have always you know kind of been drawn to syncopation and and uh, and all things you know drum. Right. Or, or drumistic, and uh, actually, 
my uh, my uncle, I think before this this actually this day had happened, my uncle had returned from Tahiti um, uh, and actually brought all these albums back of Tahitian drumming uh, and actually brought me what is called a toede. It's a little hollowed out log. Mm-hmm. It's play, usually played with one stick. Is it, the, anyway, is it the square? Is it the square one with the cuts? No, it's it's actually more banana shaped, oh, kind okay. of, you know, okay. or or cylindrical, or, or at least partially cylindrical, and then flat on top and hollow therein, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, I've been listening. They they play, well, you know, with like maybe four different uh, pitches of toades, right? And with distinct parts. Then they have have like uh, what I've learned later because they studied it. Uh, uh, they, the pahu, which is the bass drum, mm-hmm. uh, and then they have what's called a fa'atete, which is played with two sticks, and it's a coconut drum with a goat skin head. Anyway, I didn't know all that when I was a kid, of course, right. but <laughs> I was listening to all these, all these, these rhythms, man, and going nuts, just loving them. I couldn't get enough of them. I, you know, on uh, my my parents' stereo, I just play them over and over again. So then, when I heard these like live drums, man, you know, coming down the street, and they, man, they were cooking too. I mean, it was like I don't know what the cadence was, uh, you know, but it was, uh, it was the hippest thing I'd ever heard. And huh. man, I literally, my heart was in my throat, man. I just, I, uh, I just was near hysterics. And that you know? was it for and, you. <laughs> God. <laughs> I just uh, like I, I I knew at that moment that that was something that I was gonna gonna pursue or it was gonna play heavily in my life. I mean, right. it sounds funny and sounds cosmic and out there and all, but I knew then that that was gonna be my life somehow. I was gonna know? say, did you know then or now? Looking back, are you saying? Okay, that was it. That was the the precipice. The you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess because it's hard to sort of see that stuff in real time, but when you look back and you're yeah. like, you know, this is the this is the day and the time that it that it happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, it feels to me like uh, like when I try to reflect that far back, but and remember what exactly I was feeling. It just it felt like I had no choice. Yeah, you know what I mean, Al Jarreau. Bless, rest his soul. God was one of my dear, dear friends. I had the supreme privilege and honor of playing with for, for you know, four years or so. I love that. I always used to say that when I when I told him, uh, you know, I'd tell him because every night he he'd come up with something fresh and brand new, and you know, just just completely. I mean, he was he was just tapped into that thing, you right. know. Right. And I, and I try to say, oh, my God, that, that thing you did tonight in, in Alonso or in Spain, you know, on that song or whatever. And he go, he used to call me his T, my TMB, my TMB, I have no choice. <laughs> you know? He used to kill me, man. But, uh, nice. But it just he, comes out. I can't, I can't It just comes it. out. Yeah, yeah, and and not to equate myself with him certainly because my God, his his gift is so enormous. But but I feel like I had no choice, right? Much like him, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. he was so drawn to it, you know. Uh, he uh, was a practicing psychologist, you know, and and uh, he and was ended up yeah, and I didn't and, know that. Uh, 
yeah, just sang kind of for fun on the side, and and then then ended up moving to Northern California, and he and George Duke hooked up and and started uh, playing in clubs as a duet, you know, I as a duo rather, not a duet, a duo, a duo. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. never I never knew that though. I I mean, he seems yeah. like. If 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 I were to put money on it, I would have said he just seems like a one of those virtuosos that's been playing since he was born and never did anything else. And you know, that's right. that's, that's an interesting that's interesting to hear that though. And yeah, never knew. Yeah, that. yeah, he didn't really start his career until relatively late in life. Right. I think his first album, he was in his mid thirties or late thirties or something. You know? Really? So there's still time so, for yeah. me is what you're saying. I'm good. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get to, uh, I gotta get to playing some piano here. Um, but so for you, you were drawn to the drums, but you didn't start on drums, right? You started, what'd you start on trumpet? Right. God, boy, you've done your homework. Man, that's a little known fact. And the, the reason I didn't start on drums uh, was because in the in the junior high school band, actually it was back when I was in school, I think even before you were in junior high school, you could join the, the school band. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it might have been the sixth grade or so, uh, fifth or sixth grade, I, I wanted to start playing drums, you know. With the marching band, but of course everybody wanted to play drums, right? right? So the drum section was filled. <laughs> You're not the first yeah. person to say that when they were younger, going in to get drums, and they're like, you know, hey, I want to play drums. They're like, yeah, you and everybody else, pick, go grab that clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I was forced to choose another instrument, uh, and uh, I chose trumpet, and I actually did pretty well. I uh, I got to be second chair uh, in the, the eight months or whatever it was that I, I played. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, but, but the band director, bless his heart, he, uh, he knew how, what a burning desire I had to, to play the drums. And I remember showing up for a parade uh, and uh, where they have it, where everybody's going to line up. It was all kind of drawn out. And I looked for my name in the trumpet section and it wasn't there. And I was like, Wow, and uh, I got fired. That's so like, yeah, exactly, exactly. I got canned, <laughs> and then I kind of looked at the at the drum section, just happened to glance at it, and I saw my name there. He he had me on tom tom, you know. So of course he didn't put me right on snare drum. Right, right. But anyway, yeah, I was stoked. That's a so baptism by fire, though. Yeah, it was, it was, but I knew all the all the the drummers, you know, and the school band, and I'd hang with them, not the trumpet players, right? And I knew I knew the cadence, and I knew all the drum parts for all the, uh, you know, for all the songs, pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's yeah, so it worked out fine. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So what? Yeah. You, so you started playing, and was it? But because you're primarily self-taught, though, right? I mean, you you didn't do a ton Absolutely. of schooling in the beginning in the beginning of your career. No, actually, uh, uh, I learned to read there in the in the junior high school band, or just prior to junior high school, because of the trumpet playing, not because of the drumming. I'm guessing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. Initially, yeah, I did. I learned how to read trumpet music. But then I learned how to, how to read drum music as well. I mean, right. you know, it was like an easy transition. Sure. And, uh, uh, but then, you know, I, I got so busy by the eighth grade, I was playing professionally, 
you know, at pizza parlors and that sort of thing, uh, in surf bands, you know, because mm-hmm. that was that's what was happening, you know, at the early 60s, you know. Nobody sang, at least where I was, you know, right. growing up at the beach uh, in Orange County, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody was into Dick Dale and the Deltones and that kind of thing, and yeah. surf bands. So yeah. I was playing surf, surf music primarily and uh, and making make a little money on the side doing it. But then eight, uh, you were eight. Well, <laughs> no, I was no it, about the eighth grade. Actually. Oh, eighth so grade. Okay. Than that. Yeah. Either way, that's yeah. still young. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, then uh, when I got into high school, uh, by that time, of course, you know, uh, guys were singing in, in bands, you mm-hmm. know, and you you had to. And I, I was an R&B freak. I loved it. And, and then this, this was pre, uh, well, right about... I guess simultaneous. I graduated in 1969, so it must have been, you know, the English invasion, you know, happened 64, right, right. 63, 64, around there. So uh, anyway, I was way influenced by all of that. But before that, I was actually trying to sing Louie Louie and uh, <laughs> give me money and yeah, all, yeah. You know, all those tunes, you know. And uh, I was singing because nobody else wanted to do it. You know, mm-hmm. so I was singing and playing, playing the drums. And uh, actually, I ended up being the lead singer in some bands I was in, in high school. And uh, one band in particular, we ended up opening for uh, Stevie Wonder, man. Nice. <laughs> God, it was amazing. And I got to meet and hear Stevie Wonder live. Wow. You know, and I was like, I think in the sophomore year in high school. There were you playing and singing or were you just singing? Yeah. yeah. Playing yeah, drums yeah. and singing. And singing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not an easy so, thing uh, to do. Well, no. Yeah, God, when I first started trying to do that, my voice would always follow my right foot, you know. Right, So it'd right. be like, you know, <laughs> I could only sing what my, my bass drum was right. doing, you know. Right. <laughs> well, now, but, and, we'll, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but, like, there's videos of Nate Wood singing and playing bass and drums at the same time, and I'm like, come on. keyboards now. Yeah, now I'm I, like, well, give us a, give everybody else a chance, man. Just stop. <laughs> that kid is so gifted. Oh, my God. It's, he's I, amazing. Like, man. every time I, I'm like, I'm waiting for him to be, like, cooking breakfast and playing drums and, <laughs> Know, and charting it while he's playing it or something out of that exactly exactly it's like you couldn't just, just could just play one instrument and just let you know please. Yeah, yeah just give us a chance <laughs> i know and, it, and the thing is everything he plays while he's doing all those uh multiple instruments everything he plays is so hip at the well, same yeah, time he, it's yeah like, it's not like, like he's hacking around doing it i mean like no. he's playing some really <laughs> amazing stuff <laughs> I know, man. Sickening. And, and he had he had. We're, we'll jump ahead a little bit, but I want to get back. I want to talk to you about the the uh, the previous stuff. But he had mentioned how big of an influence you were on him, and so you and his dad played in honk together, right? Right, and that was the band I mentioned that that finally made it to Hawaii when we were. Speaking oh, it was honk. Earlier. Okay, yeah. And then honk uh, yeah. was ended up. It was the backing band for Kenny Loggins, right? No, Steve Wood and I were the only okay. members of okay. Hawk. Yeah, and I actually joined the Kenny Loggins band about three albums before Steve joined. Okay, um, if I remember correctly, yeah, it was right about that. 
or two albums anyway. We'd already done, we'd already had a couple of hits, like Whenever I Call You Friend, mm -hmm. that duet with, with Stevie Nicks. Right. And then uh, still, one of my all-time favorite albums I've ever been a part of was Keep the Fire, which had that song, This Is It, on mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, which turned out to be you know pretty major hit. And uh, But there's some tracks on that album that I just love, man. Yeah. And then Steve joined the band, uh, right about an album called High Adventure. And, you know, Kenny had been on me to have Nate's dad, Steve, mm -hmm. join the band because uh, Honk used to open for Loggins and Messina. Right. And, and so he knew what a great keyboardist and singer Steve was. I got you. And so, right. yeah, but at, uh, Steve, I, I'd been hounding him before this, before he joined for, I mean, a couple of years before he finally acquiesced, you know, oh, he, he, didn't, he just he didn't, didn't want, want He didn't want to go on the road. Ah, he'd be, he'd okay. been on the road already with the Pointer Sisters and, mm -hmm. and since Honk had broken up and, right. and had, you know, kind of, I, I think he had sort of more or less decided he wanted to, to pursue his career at home. You mm -hmm. know? So, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. 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 And so... Back when you could do such a thing. Sure, sure. <laughs> Nowadays, wow, man. It's so, uh, it's tough without going on the road. Yeah, I know it. Everybody yeah. I know, man, is you know looking for road games. I think there's man. one thing that you cannot replace is that is the live, you know, the live experience. You just absolutely. I say that now in 20 years, we're going to be like, remember when we said you couldn't replace the live experience? You know, there'll be there'll be some, <laughs> right. some crazy there'll thing. Be holograms yeah <laughs> so you're so while you're you're going through um you're you're playing drums you're the lead singer of these bands and was it did it seem like it was like this natural progression into things or did it or was there sort of one of those moments where you were like i don't want to say that you were like oh i've made it but it was sort of like yeah i think i think this this music career thing is going to be good well, you know, I have to say that, that uh, right out of high school, right upon graduating from high school, Steve Wood that you mentioned, Nate's dad, uh, was in this band that was like like pretty big time, you know, mm -hmm. in, in Orange County, at least locally. And they already had a record deal. So uh, when I graduated from high school, uh, two of the members of that band that had this record deal that Steve was in were... Uh, were they, the band was breaking up, and they were, wanted to start a new band and play all original material and go for it, right? So that is the band that, that ultimately became Honk. But I was so flattered. And if anybody they could have asked, it, you know, there was a lot of great players around. They asked me. And I was, you know, younger than them. And I used to watch watch them on TV, you know, and other bands and right. stuff, you know, and local L.A., you know, TV and uh, so, man, I was blown away. Uh, but anyway, we really got serious about it and, you know, practiced, you know, five, six hours a day, wrote all our own stuff and then played in clubs and, of course, had to do some covers. But we were, damn it, we were going to play originals, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's the band that ended up doing the soundtrack for this movie that we, we were not a surf band. I want you to, I want that clear. <laughs> but, but. But the, the the band was comprised of really good players, and uh, this filmmaker that that specialized in surf films uh, asked us to do the soundtrack. So we did the soundtrack for this 
this movie. And the movie blew up. It, it Five Summer Stories was the name of the movie. And, and uh, uh, it ended up being, I think, the top box office gross uh, of, of any of any 16 millimeter film to that time to that date of any wow. kind wow. and I mean it was huge all over the world so uh, so that kind of got our name around mm-hmm. and because the soundtrack garnered some attention and then like I said we had a number one record in Hawaii for like you know for a long time and in Southern California Good God, in our heyday, Honk, actually, we sold out a week at the Troubadour. Wow. You know, that's that's where Elton John was discovered, you right, know. Right. So so even though uh, what brought us to the dance, if you will, was was an instrumental, like, uh, soundtrack album, mm-hmm. we had all this material of uh, original stuff, great vocalists, a lot of harmonies, and that sort of thing. Right. So... Uh, it was like when we started opening for the Beach Boys, went on the road with the Beach Boys, we opened for Logs of Messina, we opened for Chicago twice, you know, stadiums, you know. Right. I, I started going, hmm, this is getting good to the brother, you know. Right. And coincidentally, <laughs> and, uh, every band that you've just named, you've played with all of them. Yes. Now, isn't that funny? Because I, I swear it really had nothing to do with me ending up working with them. It's uh-huh, just so uh-huh. funny how fate works. In fact, you know, Chicago, the guys vaguely remember seeing our name, right. Honk, you know, but it was like Honk Santana and Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. but they never heard us. They flew in on, on private jets, you know, right. and buzzed the stadium, you know, like <laughs> while Santana was playing. We were long gone, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, the Beach Boys, you know, we got their attention. They, they really liked us. And mm-hmm. But I, I, I didn't ever end up working with them, although I did work with Brian on, a solo, on his first solo album. I've heard numerous accounts of Brian Wilson in the studio of just the level of, of uh, genius that he has is just like, you can't even describe the the level of genius that he has when crafting music. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, that is so true. I mean, he is like, in some parallel universe, you know, right? That, that, that the music gets here, but he doesn't quite. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's okay because the music is so good. <laughs> the music's here, Brian. I don't know where he is, but the, the music's yeah, here. We're good yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, is that, so, is, is that a, what's that? Were you going to say something? Oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to say he's a real sweet guy, real nice guy. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, uh, is that wow. sort of a is is that like a? I want to say like I don't want to say a scene, but there seems like a lot of recurring characters in with Beach Boys, Logs of Messina, Chicago, um, uh, you know, obviously Kenny mm. Loggins. Like, is there is there how did all how did that happen? I'm guessing that the whatever gig happened first maybe some way led to the next thing led to the next thing right uh-huh well i think you know anybody that's been at it for a while will, will attest to the fact that the longer you're in the music business the the smaller it becomes mm-hmm. you know uh you you inevitably kind of at least those of my vintage 
end up knowing each other, you know. Right. Uh, and and I you know I try to stay atop, uh, on top of new music and that, but I don't profess to to know like a lot of the you know players and that you know in 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 new bands and that, right. although there are some I do, uh, but. I think that that it was kind of incestuous in a way, you know, especially back in the 70s, because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, would get together and just play, man, and just jam, you know. Right. I mean, that whole, you know, they talk about the Malibu Mafia and all of that, you know, mm-hmm. all those guys, you know, out here, Russ, Conkle, and and uh, and uh, Lee Sklar, and Quartzmar, and the guys that made up the, uh, uh, the section, you know, mm-hmm. they were actually called that. They did an album. Uh, but they were doing all the Linda, Ron Stance records and all those guys, you know, uh, all those kind of early West Coast music right. albums, you know. Yeah, um, anyway, there was, and then there was that whole Laurel Canyon scene, you know, with Joni Mitchell and Graham mm-hmm. Nash and mm-hmm. David Crosby and Stephen Stills and, all, you know, that whole thing going on out there, too. And everybody just, I don't know, it, it just seemed like, I don't know. Maybe I'm out of it, and and that's still going on. <laughs> yeah, I, but, uh, I mean, I think that there's definitely, I don't want to say clicks, because that sort of gives it like a negative connotation, but there's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, groups of people who are like, oh, these guys play together, and then they're playing this other thing. But I think that, from from my vantage point anyway, it seems like there was a lot more of that in the 60s, 70s, and 80s than there is now. I think, to me, it just seems like there's a lot of just jumping from tour to tour and just, you know, not a lot of people yeah. staying in rhythm sections for a long time or staying in bands for a long time. It's like every time you talk to somebody, it's like, who are you out with now? Who are you out with now? Who are yeah. you out with now? And it's and there's right. no rhyme or reason yeah. to how it happens, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I agree completely. Nick, I'm telling you, and I think that there, it's for a few uh, reasons. One, one being the industry has changed so much now that mm-hmm. that uh, uh, you know, at first it, it kind of forces us all to be mercenaries in a way. Right. Unless you know you've already hung your hat with the band, you've been fortunate enough to have success with that band, and and, uh, and or hooked up with a band like I was fortunate enough to. Uh, that had huge success and still does, you know, mm-hmm. have this audience all over the world. Uh, it just kind of forces you into to like, you know, kind of always being the hired gun and just, you know, taking everything and anything you can, you know. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. It's just a different time, definitely. Different different season, if you will, right. as they say. <laughs> how, how do you think you're – how do you think your career would be different now? Say you weren't playing in Chicago, you weren't a member of Chicago and uh-huh. you were, you were just a hired gun going from, from gig to gig. Um, is that uh-huh. something that you would want to continue? Like, would you do that forever? Well, you know, it was kind of a scary existence cause I was very much that, right. uh, before I joined Chicago. Um, you know, I was with Kenny pretty faithfully mm-hmm. for about 11, almost 12 years. Right. And then Jerome kind of for four years and, and then juggled uh, Kenny and Al. for. But during that period, there was this wonderful thing called session work. Right. <laughs> that was that really a, a word a, that, has, that, actually that, make, that has no meaning <laughs> anymore. 
<laughs> exactly. Like in a land far, far away a long, long time ago. Yeah, there was this thing called session work. And uh, God dang, man. I mean, you could, there, you could stay in town if you if you chose to to try to build a career doing that, you know. Some guys got to do that, mm -hmm. and I got to do both, which I was, man, was I lucky, you know, because I, I, I got a taste of both. And I, I actually, um, if given my druthers, that's what I would like to do uh, still to this day uh, is is be able to record and, and then tour for, you know, play for live audiences as well as, you know, have that satisfaction of knowing you have something indelibly in the can mm -hmm. that it, that you're so proud of, you know, and that you can't wait for people to hear and right. just do it over and over again. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's something magical uh, about going in the studio and recording and creating something that would never existed before. And now it's there, whether it's yeah, good or bad, man. it doesn't, you know, it's sort of like that. That's almost inconsequential. It's like, you know, this is something that we created out of thin air and now it's it's you know quote unquote on tape um and it, that i there's something there's something amazing about that you know totally totally nick yeah that's a whole another kind of satisfaction but it does lack that 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 one thing that live performing does too and that is that immediacy mm -hmm. you know of the you know the the crowd reaction and that synergy that happens between the you know a live audience and a live band, right. which you know can that's that's a whole other thing too. Yeah, it's hard so to I, I really love I love both. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with, it's un yeah. unfortunately a lot of the like you said a lot of the session stuff is is by the wayside, but uh, but there's still something good about getting in the getting in there and. Uh, and just creating something that that's never been there. I want to talk a little bit about. I want to talk about feel because it's such a it's such a tough thing to talk about because there's not you can't say go grab this book and work out a page thirty three and you know that's how you're going to develop your feel. But you have yeah. this this feel that is it's like it's organic. It is solid. It's musical and. I know that a lot of that Thank comes from playing and, and playing and playing and playing, but was there specific things that you did inside the practice room? Was there specific things that you did when you were listening? Was there specific things that you did on the gig or in the studio to help develop and hone that sound? You know, Nick, that's a great question. Uh, I pretty much drove myself crazy uh, over time. And, and my lack of said substance. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, really? I thought I was a pretty good drummer until, until I started to record. And oh my God, what a rude awakening that was. <laughs> um, when I, I first started to record, you know, we were like, all who's like, that guy on drums? That, that can't be me. Oh my Cause God. I sounded, I sounded great. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, my time was all over the place. I knew playbacks and go, Jesus, man. I mean, really? could you rush anymore or could you drag anymore on that bridge or can, you know, coming out of that fill? God, is that legal, man? You, were, you got some place to be? Slow down, bro. Right. You know, <laughs> so, uh, man, 
I it I really oh god it was terrible and it was with Honk actually that that because we had this publishing deal and had access to uh, their studio uh, our publisher's studio we cut everything man I mean from the worst piece of crap you know that wasn't even really a song to to this real polished we thought masterpiece or whatever we'd go in and, and try it out there mm-hmm. you know and. Uh, and so I think it was, uh, and this was in an age uh, where you could actually kind of uh, break in into the studio uh, session world by doing songwriter demos for mm-hmm. pu- publishing companies. Yeah, I mean they still so, do that in Nashville. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so. Um, I hated my playing and I hated everything I came up with. And even if it was a good idea, I, I, I hated the execution of it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't until I, I was recording so much between the band and doing uh, publishing demos and that, that I didn't have time to hate my stuff anymore. And it was like, finally, when I, when I relaxed, I could re- relax and breathe, right. you know, in mm-hmm. between, you know, strokes or notes or whatever, just take the time to remember to breathe, that I started hearing playback, playbacks that I actually liked and went, oh man, okay, now maybe that, that's it. Maybe that's what I needed to do. I, I tried to dissect uh, Jim Keltner's feel and, and Russ Kunkel's feel and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, all those early session guys. And I still do, you know, and, and, and try to, to, to figure out exactly why that, you know, when Gad, you know, just plays one note, man, you know, it's him. It's a thumbprint, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the placement of the, where he puts things, you know. Um, but it's so easy to overthink that stuff. Right. And, and, and what I've discovered in, 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 in uh, my years of playing is the less that I really consciously think of, about that, the better my own playing will feel. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if I if I start really thinking about, you know, uh, is like kind of playing dead center on the downbeat with my with my bass drum, but laying back the, you know, the snare. If I start doing that, man, it just all goes to hell. That, so. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I've tried that and like, oh, let me try to like push the ride. Well, yeah, like, you know, pulling back on the and it's just like I just I sound like tennis shoes in a dryer, so it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> I never heard that. Um, I like that. And the one thing, or not the one thing, but one of the things that you said that was interesting was about relaxing. And I've I've been told this before by an old drum instructor of mine that you can tell by the you can tell how people play by the way that they talk. And one thing that I've noticed is that when people are nervous, like their hands get fidgety, they talk faster. They seem to, they, they run on and they start talking like this and it's just a nervous reaction, but you get somebody who's really relaxed and chill and they're sort of just like, yeah, you know, and they have a different cadence to their voice and they may slow down a little bit and they, they're not dragging, but they're just kind of right there, you know? And, Uh and, it's interesting what you say about relaxing and it's sort of like getting rid of those nerves and just, just playing, just breathe and play. And, you know, 
I feel like rhythm has a, a has a natural uh, element to it, and it just I guess you just got to let it go through you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. I mean, that's and, some and, completely like out there esoteric way of thinking, but it's like that's what it no, is. No, it's right? not. That's exactly it, man. And and here's some real out there esoteric uh, talk. I like it. You know, you know, as a player, and I think any of us that are players have the have experienced those moments where you it's not even you playing anymore mm-hmm. that i've played my finest the finest stuff i've, I've ever played i i lay no claim to <laughs> i just happened to be the conduit that it came through yeah. you know yeah and i i had nothing to do with it except that i was just i was the one that it came through you know mm-hmm. so and and that was that's when that you, you hit that state where I, I think that that's why we all spend so much time, you know, like refining our technique or trying to and studying and all of that is to make ourselves available for that to happen, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And then and then then on those rare nights when everybody in the in the band is experiencing that same thing at the same time that's oh my god lightning in a bottle like that. <laughs> exactly man exactly yep. yeah totally oh, and man. it's and i i'm sure that you've had occasions where you get done playing and you're sort of like i don't even remember playing yeah. that it's just like that, this total out of body experience and yeah <laughs> that's when you know exactly. it's happening that's when you know oh, what's happening. Oh, totally. That's exactly it. More with Tristan Bowden after this. This session is brought to you by my friends at DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW for years. I love them. I just picked up a new PDP concept kit, which is an amazing sounding kit that doesn't break the bank. And you can learn more about DW and the things that they've been doing since the early 70s right in Southern California by going to DWDrums.com. While not all successful drummers read music, today's drummer needs every edge he or she can get to surpass the competition. Whether you need to start with beginning basic rhythms and notation, need to improve your chart reading or interpretation skills, or want to challenge yourself with sight reading, the drum reading courses offered by the Drum Program at Musicians Institute can help you become an expert reading drummer. You can learn more about this and all their great programs at mi.edu. Now let's get back into it with Tristan Boat. I want to talk about the Chicago gig because okay. for a couple reasons. One... It's not like you joined this band when they were struggling and then, you know, and then they became Chicago. I mean, they were a big band when they hired you. So, yeah. one, what does that I mean, one, how did that happen? Two, what does that call sound like? Like Oh man, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, how that happened, uh I think was as a result of well, I, I know for sure Bill, uh, Bill Champlin was the one that threw my name into the hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd done session work with Bill, both with David Foster and with other producers and and other artists. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, different artists. You know, he was mm-hmm. kind of like the number one call vocal contractor in L.A., you know, back then, too, you know, and a ranger. Right. And uh, anyway, so they were like kind of throwing some names around about who 
might be to replace Danny Seraphin. I mean, my God, you know, how do you do that? But uh, were you friends uh, with Danny at the time? Did you know him? I had met him, but okay. I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't really know him. I okay. can't say that. Okay. But uh, uh, but I do. I I I know David Foster pretty darn well, and uh, and David had been using me quite a bit. Uh, I was kind of in his stable of guys, you right. know. I was I was like you know certainly not first call, but I was like in there, and mm -hmm. uh, you know it was Jeff and Jr. and Carlos, and then I'd get a call, right. <laughs> right. you know. So uh, anyway, I think Chicago knew of my work with with Kenny Loggins, you know, and and as a result of those records with Kenny, I was getting work with David and with a lot of different producers, you mm -hmm. know, and so uh, they'd heard me on on record. But I don't think that they'd seen me play live, really. Uh, and I, as it turned out, when the call came, uh, it was it was absolutely perfect. It was like Bill Champlin called me and said, uh, Tris, how you been? We hadn't talked in a couple of years. And I said, well, I'm good, Bill. How are you? And he said, oh, man, still playing with the band, doing great. And he said, uh, what are you doing this summer? And I said, funny you should ask. Because I was facing my first summer in like, you know, 15 years without a tour. Really? And it was like, yeah, because I just finished a year with with Kenny that that just dovetailed right into this European tour with Jero. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so uh, and neither of them were going out. <laughs> and <Right. laughs> so, yeah. So I was like, you know. It's not like I had a lot of money saved. <laughs> right. So uh, so I was like, wow, man. So he, well, he said, well, how would you like to play with the band? And I went, ha, let me think about it. Yes. You know, so, <laughs> so I couldn't believe it, man. And it just the timing and everything was just perfect. So the next thing I know, I get I'm, I, Jason Chef is at my house. Turns out he lived right down the street uh, in uh, Valley Village there or Sherman Oaks, that area, mm -hmm. and uh, he was at my house ten minutes later, and with the with the show tape, and I was scheduled to leave with my then wife uh, for Lima, Peru, because she was like a choreographer singer herself, and we both had had worked with this Peruvian artist who was doing a a video in Lima. So I hear it was so surrealistic. The next thing I know, the next day, I'm listening to Chicago knowing I'm going to come back and be baby in Chicago. Right. And, but I'm headed to Lima, Peru. For the first I was like, what? And, You're and like, what uh, world do I live in? I know exactly. So, so man, it was really, really surrealistic. And then when I came back though, I, I mean, I, I made damn sure of course, while I was in Lima that I knew every note of every tune in every live you know that uh, in their their arrangements of every song mm -hmm. in the set. So, um, so, so I was there an audition, and, or were you just you were hired? No, no, I was just hired. Okay, I just yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they wanted to see how it felt. I'm sure you know. Sure. Uh, but but from the first tune, man, it felt so good. And then on a personal level too, the chemistry was like like immediate. So, uh, man. It was like, and they made me feel so at home. I have to say, mm -hmm. and just so comfortable, you know. Is that a is that a strange feeling going in 
one, you're replacing a founding member of the band. Two, they're already an iconic band. You know, yeah. Three, you have however 150 songs to learn or you know whatever it is uh, <laughs> yeah so yeah and how do you so how do you approach that what what's your thought process behind that and are you trying to be danny seraphin or are you just trying to sort of honor his parts but but put your own spin on it as well well when i first started when i first started with with uh the band coming back from peru i tried to not only just on, like honor what Danny had played, but I mean, out and out recreate it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. Uh, but at that point, they would stop and say, hey, look, we don't want you to feel like you have to do what Danny did. Um, you know, if you feel like, like you know, you, you, you want to say something here that isn't what Danny said, feel free to do that. So... I did. I tried doing that in a few spots, but it was like trying to put tits on a fish. Right. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> it's like, why? You know? Right. Right. So, so, so for, for the first couple of years, I tried to infuse, you know, my stuff, you know, like in the wrong places, you know, it's like, you know, at the end of the ballet, you know, the end that, that iconic fill that Danny does, you know, mm-hmm. right, right. Don't, you know, I don't want to hear a bunch of sex toplets or something that was, you know, <laughs> I want to hear what was played on the record mm-hmm. and I, I, everybody else does too, you know, right. <laughs> and, right. and so I was sort of, I think with, with, the fans, I was sort of reluctantly accepted uh, and tolerated at first, you know, because uh, you, it's like trying to replace Ringo or something, you know. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you don't do that. And and I have to tell you a quick story too, Nick. I don't I hope I'm not taking too long here. Not but, at all. We have, uh, we have as much time as you would like. So. <laughs> well, I mentioned Foster, right? Mm-hmm. I remember. For whatever reason, David was not getting what he wanted from from uh, Danny at a certain point. So he actually, you know, had brought Jeff in to play on on a tune, mm-hmm. "Stay the Night," right? right? Picaro. And yeah, yeah, Jeff Picaro. And and uh, and not just that, he had also brought in Carlos to play on "You're the Inspiration," you know, mm. and. Uh, Anyway, understandably, Danny was upset about that. Very upset. I was upset when he told me about it. You know, Humberto Gatica told me, yeah, we had Jeff in here. You know, I was like, and I was like, I got in Foster's face, which wasn't very smart of me. <laughs> I have to say, I said, you can't do that. You can't. I mean, Danny is such a part of that band's sound, you know? Yeah. He's part of that DNA, man, that, you know, that's all those things, that that, that alchemy that happens, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you talk about feel, you know? It's like somebody's thumbprint, but how that works with, the, you know, with Walt Perizator's sax, you know, right, and right. Dan Panko's trombone and, 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 and Robert's feel, you know? It's like. God dang, man. you can't do that. Why are you? And he said, man, I just got, I've got a responsibility. I got to, I got to get this record done, you know, and right. I got to get it done. You know, the, and the what best. And what was it? Just his feel wasn't there or just like. 
Yeah, I, I think it, it, it for David. Yeah, I, it was it was a feel thing and a and a time thing. I mm-hmm. think you know. So, um, but God dang, you know, I just felt for Danny so so badly. I really did. And and you know, of course, his. I mean, we all love Danny Seraphin and his contributions. You know, I mean, God mm-hmm. dang, he's a very very important player. Man, I'll always be grateful to him for everything that I, man, I used to pick, you know, out and out plagiarize him, you know, right, right. <laughs> before, way, well before I was in the band, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you so have a relationship I, with Danny? Yeah, he and I are friends. Oh, are yeah. you? Yeah, we're friends, and, and uh, I'm happy to say, you know, um, there was a long period of time where Danny didn't play. I mean, he, he, uh, it. I think it hit him so hard, you know, that, I mean, it yeah. was his whole life. Yeah, that was his know? baby. I mean, I've read his, I've read his book and he was, I know that he was just, mm-hmm. you know, distraught about everything. You know, he was sort of like, what do I do now? It's like, you cut off a, a, his leg, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I'm really glad that he's playing again and he's playing his ass off mm-hmm. to boot. Man. Yeah. He really is playing great and his band's great. And, uh, so, um, so that's, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful too that, that, you know, he and I become friends, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it would be understandable if he didn't want to, you know, know who the hell this, this guy that's, play, you know, sitting in, I mean, playing in his band was, I, I would understand, but, right, uh, right. but no, he's, he's been real nice and gracious to me and, and frankly, very, uh, very, uh, complimentary and appreciative of what I do. So do you, do you still feel like it's his band or do you feel like it's your band now? I feel more like, uh, you know, that's a really good question. I think that we have to perform so many of the older tunes that I had nothing to do with in the creation of it is his band in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and going forward and as of, 1990 when I joined we started recording much less than the band had up to that point right um, there's an album that we recorded in 1993 it was scheduled for release in 1994 called Stone of Sisyphus that Peter Peter Wolf produced mm-hmm. that album I is my favorite album uh, that I that the band has done since I've been a part of the, of, uh, of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Peter pushed us, you know, he being, you know, the great keyboard player he is, pushed the band and great producer, pushed the band to, to really stretch it, you know, and stretch ourselves, right. stretch it as a band and, and, you know, with complete freedom to, to create, which is something, uh, I haven't felt that at liberty to do, um, frankly, um, on hmm. any other project. I mean, it's just I feel the responsibility to to kind of just kind of keep it tight and, you know, just honor that sound, honor that sound. Yeah. And play more simply than, of course, I'm, ca- I'm, I'm capable of doing a, a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. And whereas with Kenny Loggins, for example, he was a real drum freak. 
And he wanted me to to come up with things that you wouldn't hear on a pop record always, you know, uh-huh. and, and uh, would even work on on, you know, well, he would have his own ideas. He'd sing to me about possible drum parts, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I would really dig in and work with like George Hawkins, a bass player or Nathan East. You know, who was a bass player with Kenny for a long time. And we would really like come up with these, you know, really nice parts that really complemented the whole and and uh and the you know the vocal the melody the the whole production you know mm-hmm. and uh with chicago um with the exception of that album stone of sisyphus i don't feel like we've really given it the eye the uh, eye to detail that that uh that i felt in doing other records like you know the Loggins records right 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 Huh, that's an interesting so, little tidbit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever verbalized that before. But, but uh, anyway. Um, so in that respect, you know, I guess it still kind of is Danny's band. In that, you know, the band is best known, of course, for songs that he was a, a part of, and not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I, I did cut one hit with the band. A song called uh, "Here in My Heart," which mm-hmm. was like a number one tune on AC anyway in 1998, I guess it was or thereabouts. So you know, it's not like I haven't done a hit, made a hit with the band. Of course, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah. How so, how long were you in the band before they asked you to be a member? Because that's a whole different conversation, right? It was after. Well, it's not um, what you might think. Mm-hmm. It's it's really not that there are any new band members, full members. It's uh, there are those originals, and they are band members, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are are side men who appear to be band members. I got you. Okay. So yeah, um, it's. It's not that that uh, I was asked to completely, you know, have the keys to the kingdom, or as <laughs> right. if you will, you know. Uh, but I have been made to feel very welcome, and it's been, I've made a really good living, and I am beyond grateful. Particularly nowadays, you know, I know what, what the climate is out there, right? And uh, and so I do not take this privilege for granted mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's not like um, you know. Okay, the, after the first year, they said, "Okay, man, you're in here." You know. Right. Uh, so <laughs> here's they did, a jet. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they they did in a manner, uh, you know, kind of do that. They said, "Well, you're you're our drummer, man," and and like I say, they made me feel so appreciated and at home. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's like you know. They were calling me a lifer <laughs> after a couple of years. That's yeah, you're going to gonna be a lifer. You're that's a lifer. That's good to hear. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> and so it's that, also, that, I mean, I'm sure it's good for, it's definitely good for you in terms of not have to think about, you know, okay, am I going to, what tour am I doing this summer or, you know, whatever. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. so true. That's a yeah. great position to be in. Totally, man. So you were you got to be a part of the of the uh, rock and roll induction ceremony and all that stuff, right? 
Uh-huh. Talk about that, man. How cool is that? I mean, was that has is yeah. that is that a bucket list thing or was it something mm. that never really crossed your mind, you know, years ago and I I in my wildest imaginings, I wouldn't have seen myself there, you know. Uh I I wouldn't dare imagine that, you know? Right. Uh but but it was it was so cool, I thought that that the band was insistent that knowing that Danny was going to be playing and they hadn't played with Danny since he had left in 1990. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that, uh, that they insisted that I play as well. Um, I thought that, that, that really felt good. You know, that that really felt good. That was a combination of the band and management, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that did that. But man, I'll tell you, you know, to be sitting there and watching, you know, at the beginning of the ceremony, they, they, they run this, this footage of all on this giant screen of all these others being inducted. Then mm-hmm. I'm talking, there's Paul McCartney and George Harrison, and, right, right. you know, and then, I mean, God, I mean, absolute like chills, like, in the pantheon, yeah, I get goosebumps just talking about it. You know, uh, it's like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I can't believe this, man. So, <laughs> hey, man, you deserve to be. You're, you know, you're, you're there just like everybody else is. I'm sure that those people are oh. saying the same thing. Oh man, well, it was, it was a blast. It really was a blast, man. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, and and it was great. You know, that, that Danny and I, you know, played together, too. Uh, you know, it was uh, 25 or 6 to 4, we played together. Mm-hmm. Actually, we there was three songs that everybody did. But because of print, the demise of Prince, um, they cut on the broadcast. Uh, everybody's performance to two songs so that they could do that tribute to uh, Prince. okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why it was only Saturday in the park and twenty five that that mm-hmm. was there, you know. So is the story behind that song, the clock. Oh, okay. You know, it's a, everybody asks that question, and once I I tell you what Robert, by way of explanation, says about those lyrics, you go, oh God, of course, you know. But everybody always thinks, oh, it's about LSD. You know, there's 25 in it. So it was LSD 25. It's got to be about acid. Oh, I thought it was the clock story. Well, that's exactly what it was. Okay. Okay. So you you already heard that. Yeah. He was actually up writing the song and it was 25 or 26. He couldn't figure out minutes to four in the morning. (laughs) And he was so, so with that in mind, when you hear the the lyrics sitting cross-legged on the floor, wondering if I should do some more, mm-hmm. you know, that's where people start thinking, you know, ah, it's drugs, right? you know, but it wasn't, it really wasn't. <laughs> so the story I heard was correct. That's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I never heard, yeah. I never heard the LSD one, but hey, oh, that's, yeah. that's another one. We'll put it on the, uh, put it on the list. <laughs> I'm older than you. That's what we used to think anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was also so you guys got inducted in 2015, and I also know that you're a cancer survivor. And when was that happening? Around the same time, right? 2015. Oh no! Actually, I was diagnosed, uh, Nick. I was diagnosed in 2008, 
actually ah, Jan- okay yeah December of 2008 and the entire uh, most of 2009 I was in treatment okay um, and there again the band was so cool to uh, to have stood by me throughout that whole thing and I sent a former student of mine and really good friend uh, drew Hester also from Laguna Beach, oh, where cool. Nate Woods from, and and all, and a great drummer who uh, had, had been with Joe Walsh for many years, like his music musical director and drummer, and uh, had been with the Foo Fighters just before for a, a few years playing uh, percussion with hmm. uh, with Foo's, and uh, so he. He used to set up my drums and that at the baked potato, you know, and I'd play with Los Lobotomies or, or, you know, other gigs, jazz gigs I was doing. And he and I had become pretty good pals. And uh, he was a lot younger than me, but he liked the way I played. So he used to sit and watch me all, all the time. So he played a lot like me. And so for a couple of reasons, I, I knew he'd be the perfect sub. He's a really nice guy, easygoing guy. And... He's got great time and feel. And, you know, he really plays for the song. It doesn't go to the hot dog stand every chance. He, right, you know. right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I knew he wouldn't try to steal my gig. <laughs> <laughs> so so for all those reasons, uh, uh, he subbed for me with the band for six months. Um, but I'm a lung cancer survivor, Nick, mm-hmm. and uh, I am – particularly lucky uh i mean incredibly fortunate actually uh i was stage 3a squamous cell um lung cancer and uh so i i went through simultaneous chemo and radiation uh and then surgery and they removed like two-thirds of my right lung jeez yeah and then i had a round of post-op chemo too Mm. and and man it was no walk in the park, man. I would not wish that on on my worst on anybody ever. I mean, it's just it's horrific, right? And uh, so uh, I to be now. I'm about to celebrate eight years next month. Congratulations! Uh, being cancer free, yeah. Uh, and amazing. they say at five five years that you are. You're curative, they call it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, man, I have so much to be grateful for. Number one, to be alive. But number two, to be able to do everything I used to do. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I call myself the unilunger. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, I've am i got one and a third of my lungs. And, right. And, but, but I still surf. I just can't shortboard now. I longboard, you know, exclusively, right. which I always love longboarding anyway. I'm able to play the drums. I can solo. I, I mean, you know, we do a long show, man, with Chicago. It's two and a half hours long, you know, right. Right. and uh, we're by ourselves. And it's it, like surprisingly high energy. People, you know, oftentimes associate the band with, you know, being mellow, you know, balladeers, anything no. but that. You know, so, you know, so, man, I am so, so grateful, Nick. So I've been trying to actually, you know, I work with the American Cancer Society and I've mm-hmm. I've uh, involved myself as much as I can with the time I have to try to in some way give back and right. try to, if I can help 
keep anybody from having to go through the the just the nightmare that I went through. You know, and I'm getting you were a smoker, right? I was, yeah. So uh, did you quit long before you got the cancer, or did you quit when you got cancer? No, I quit long before, man. Yeah. And that's this. That's the scary thing. Uh, that's what old... I'm scared of. I smoked for 15 years, man, and I. Oh, okay. I well, quit, buddy, I, I... I quit 10 years ago or nine years ago, something like that. But most likely, bro, you're you're in the clear. That's good. You know, there's always exceptions, but they 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 say that. You know, usually it takes a, a, a smoker's career of 25 years, you know, or more. And But then they have now what they call pack years. It depends on how many packs a day you smoke. Ah. You know, because uh, so anyway. Yeah. But uh, the old thinking was, was, you know, by, by, by seven years, you know, if you didn't have anything happening, after quitting, you were, you were fine. Then they moved it to 10 and they thought that, you know, your lungs would be back to pink, baby pink, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, but now they know way different, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that, uh, so it, I had quit 11 years before they found anything mm -hmm. and, and it was by, it was an accident that they found it even, um, they had detected, uh, on an angio cat scan, I had just had done just to see what was going on in there, uh, some blockage, you know, in my coronary arteries. So anyway, my cardiologist just after a year of being on a statin drug said, you know, let's have another one. We ought to have another one of those uh, angio cats and we'll have a look at your lungs just because you were a former smoker. Well, I laughingly say now that it was heart disease that saved my life because if <laughs> – <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if we hadn't done that, <laughs> right? You know, I they would have never. Because you don't feel anything, and that's the scary thing. They yeah. call it the the silent silent killer. I was stage three A. You know that's the last curable stage. They call it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, after that, man, there's only three B, and then stage four, and there is no four A or B. You right. know, right, 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 and uh, so. And I, man, I was, I was like living in Hawaii and sur surfing, you know, double overhead plus Honolulu Bay and, and I mean, big waves, you know, and, and running five miles a day, no symptoms whatsoever, no shortness of breath, nothing. So, and that's, uh, that's why I, I say heart disease saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> but so the, the moral of the story is one, don't start smoking. Two, if you yes. do smoke, quit. And right. three, uh, get yourself checked regularly. Absolutely. Right? Without a doubt. Yeah. Don't, just because you don't have any symptoms, think you're in the clear. Of course. That's the scary thing about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I speak yeah. for everyone that we're, we're happy you found and we're happy that you're, you're here with us still, man. Uh, thank you. And I'm not thank to make light of that either. I, 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 I don't know if oh. I should, I don't know if you're, do, do you congratulate someone for, for, uh, being cancer free for, for sure. as long as you have, is that what it is? Is that a, is that the right? Sure. Without that's sounding a, yeah, uh, that, trite. Yeah, no, that, I think that's, yeah, I know it's kind of weird, you know, the protocol involved. I know. Right. One thing that, that for sure you know, nobody really wants to hear up there, uh, lung cancer survivors, did you smoke? Right. You know, it's like, yeah, some, some most lung cancer survivors did smoke, right, but right. not all of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it happens, you know, 
to to people that have never been near a cigarette. Never, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, there's genetic factors, there's environmental factors, there's like, oh, God, a whole host of all, all kinds of things that can, you know, and there's really no rhyme or reason. But for sure, the majority of new cases of lung cancer, of all sorts of lung cancer, too, because there's many different types. Yep. Um, it's it's usually in smokers. So. Yeah. So don't do it. I'm telling don't you, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And luckily, after you've had all this stuff, you're still uh, you're still able to play. Speaking of which, um, when mm -hmm. what are you guys doing now? Are you on the are you you're going on the road this summer? You're are you but you're not on the road now, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We're going on the road this summer. I actually leave tomorrow. We're doing a private show. Oh, perfect and, timing. And yeah, and uh, and. Arizona and come back and then we've got another private I think uh, uh, the next week but then in May we'll be out for a few weeks on our own uh, and then June we'll start up in earnest we've already done about 25 shows this year okay. uh, um, all on our own um, uh, but now it, this summer we'll be touring together with the Doobie Brothers and us together nice um, yeah, it's a really good combination to um, the I gotta come to one of those shows. I want to see that. Oh, I'd love yeah. for you to see it, man. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, we're going to be at Concord Pavilion. In fact, it'll be the first show I think in June. Uh, I forget the date, uh, but that's the closest one to where you are. I cool. think. Uh, yeah, and then we'll be doing a, a couple more in Northern California um, uh, uh, in September, I think, on our own. Or August, anyway. So, okay. uh, if you miss it, uh, but the Doobies, man, that's a great band. Yeah. You know, last last year we again did something that for the fifth time, I think, since 2004. That is one of my favorite things I've ever done in music, man. And that is we played together with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and and that combination, man. It's just, you know, there's there's just speaking of alchemy, man, there's something that happens when those two bands get together. Yeah. And and we also, uh, we, you know, we, we started this tradition of we actually take the stage together and and we play. We open the show with 21 of us, man, Jeez. alternating tunes, you know, playing each other's songs and alternating vocals. Philip Bailey singing. Oh, that's cool. Only the beginning, singing a verse, you know, with Robert Lamb, and and uh, and then you know, written in the stone, you know, like right. you know, our guys taking a verse here and there, you know, and oh my God, but getting to play those t their songs with man. those guys, holy shit! That I'll tell you what, and I man, love Earth, that, Wind, and Fire. Oh, who doesn't? Yeah. Man? <laughs> if you don't, there's <laughs> something wrong with you. Oh man! Yeah. And then they they play their set, and then there's a intermission. And they and then we do our set. We foolishly try to follow them, you know. Jesus, man, it's like one of the toughest acts in the world to follow. Uh, and then then we come back for the encore. We we play like you know, thirty minutes together uh, again, alternating tunes. Twenty one of us and man, that's awesome. So, boy, that is so much fun. And we sold out the garden last year, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Got everywhere was sold out, you know, and it's been that way ever since we started in 2004. Word kind of got out right. that this is a real powerhouse show, you know. So that's awesome. Yeah. I I went and saw uh, Bruno Mars, 
And oh yeah, it was like I told everybody. I said it's like watching. It was sort of like watching Prince and James Brown in one person with uh-huh. with Earth, Wind, and Fire as the backing band. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good analogy man it was insane i was blown away completely blown oh, away man he is so talented yeah man. and that is. band's so cracked man they are ace yeah yeah I you know he's, he's from hawaii man yeah, yeah yeah i uh i had him on the podcast he and eric or not i didn't have bruno i i was thinking in my head of eric his brother so his brother oh, eric yeah. is his drummer um right and I had him on the podcast and he and I have, have become kind of buddies uh, over the, over the last couple of years. But yeah, like Hawaii guys moved to LA, you know, he's like, ah. I think I like Eric was a cop and you know, Bruno was sort of this struggling musician and, <laughs> and then, you know, like well, Bruno hit and they were play They played together all the time, obviously. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, yeah. Bruno hits and who do you hire? You hire your brother. Of course. Oh, and he's a so badass cool. drummer. He, that was no, he that was no, bad. uh, that wasn't nepotism there. Like he deserved that gig. <laughs> totally, man. He's a great drummer. Totally. So it do you, sure when is. you're home, I know you're not home very often, but do you teach privately or anything or do you? Well, actually I have tried to do that and I enjoy it actually when I, when I have, it's just that I have not pursued that so much because we are gone so much. And, right. and, uh, I don't think it's fair to a student say, mm-hmm. um, to to take them on as a student and then say okay I'll see you in three months you know right. it's like yeah <laughs> so right. at the moment I'm actually trying to study um, myself with a with a, a hand guy uh, who was actually one of Freddie Gruber's whom I studied briefly with uh, or tried to um, is it Bruce yeah Bruce, Bruce Becker, Becker. You yeah know? I do yeah. know yep yeah and. Uh, he man, he's great. He got all of what Freddie, uh, you know, what Freddie was trying to impart mm-hmm. on everybody. As a matter of fact, the first time I went to study with Freddie, he called Bruce on the telephone. Say, hey man, can you come over here for a minute? Kind of show. Uh, I've got a new new guy here. Show him kind of what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> at that point, Freddie, <laughs> I feel like Freddie used to do that all the time. He went over and like somebody crazy was yeah. at his house. Like it was like buddy rich or something i don't remember <laughs> yeah but yeah, like somebody bruce. like that he's like and bruce is like demonstrating yeah. it for him. <laughs> i know man i know so anyway but i'm trying to address my hand problems um i've i like i like you said i i'm primarily self-taught and uh, i never really had studied with a guy i just started you know the band director in junior high school didn't know he wasn't a drummer, and right. so you know he showed me how to what the traditional grip was, and then the rest of the drummers, and then that was it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and then I started playing matched some years later on my own, but I never really studied, you know, studied, right. studied, you know. The, sure. You know, there was no awareness in my life of the Moeller technique or any technique, you mm-hmm. know, uh, for that matter. Or French versus German grip or any of that stuff, you know. So as a consequence, I've had I, I've had carpal tunnel syndrome since before they had a name for it. I swear to God, I I had symptoms in 1978 and went to a to a doctor and he thought it was a pinched nerve in my neck at that oh, point. Really? He said, you know, 
Yeah, he said, you know, we may have to operate someday. And, and I was like, oh, okay, well, not well, now. I'll I call hope. you later then. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So no, I'll call you. Don't so, call me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been through the ringer with my hands. Um, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, man, um, I, it's like what Bruce is showing me. I, I can, I can kind of anticipate where we're going. And it's going to really be nice, man. Yeah. You know, if if I get there, I've got a long way to go. It's it's but, tough. Uh, I studied some of the, I studied some of, from his DVD. My buddy Daniel Glass um, studied with Fred uh -huh. Gruber for a while too. So I studied with Daniel and it's uh -huh. sort of like, it's almost like wax on wax off kind of stuff where you're like, how is yeah. this going to make me better at drumming? You know, when you're just sort of like dropping the stick onto the pad or something, but it all like, <laughs> you know, but it all over time it, it comes together but you're like i'm painting this uh, i asked you about karate and you're t you're telling me to paint this you know this yeah fence. this fence <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> totally man i think that's exactly it. somebody yeah. studied with bruce lee once and they said uh, who, i forget who it was but there was an interview and they were saying yeah i studied with bruce lee and like i got all into it and i got frustrated and was like Bruce, when are we moving to the to the second move? Like you showed me this first move for so long, and he was like, "If you don't know, if you don't already know that we're on the second move, we have to go back to the first one." Oh <laughs> wow, wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, "We've we've been on the second move for a while. We we got to go back." <laughs> Insane. That's classic, man. <laughs> That's classic. But oh, um. God. I, I want to, a few things. One, I want to, again, congratulate you on, on being cancer-free. That's a, that's a monumental thing. And, and just for you to be here, to be in everyone's life, uh, I think that is, that is amazing. So no small feat with that. But also your music career, uh, the, the music that you've put out into this world and, and the things that you do in the, in the drumming world and, and just the positive energy that you put out there, I, I do appreciate it. And I, I applaud you for all of that. Oh, thank you, man. Thank of you, course. Nick. Of course. And I appreciate you being on this podcast, taking the time to chat with me. And any time that you would like to come back to chat more, you are more than welcome. I would love to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. And listen, Listen, I would like to to give a shout out if I can. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he'll get it, but but I am so beyond flattered and so so like touched really that Nate Wood, uh, that Nate Wood man, uh, a guy that has so much talent and is so uh, just beyond gifted, uh, sees fit. To include me in, and when asked who his influences were, you know, I mean, my God, that 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 I, I just, I just want to say thank you, Nate, because you just never cease to amaze me—not just me, but the entire world. Yeah, and He's uh, an amazing guy. He really is, man. And and uh, I have to say, his his whole family are that way too. Yeah, uh, his his mom and dad. Um, are my age and and didn't start practicing speaking of karate and uh, until oh my god was it maybe well not until they're in the into their 50s and both their mother and father i mean nate's mom and dad beth i believe is second degree second don uh, black belt 
in Taekwondo. Wow. And Steve is 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 third degree, I believe. Done. You know, and Insane. it's like, God, I know. And and uh, they just you know thought they'd get into karate. You know, just right. kind of. <laughs> yeah, to, well, like, we'll just do it. Exercise, right. yeah. And to, I mean, to give you an idea who these people are, and this is on top of being two of the greatest singers and songwriters you've ever heard in your entire life, you know. And and uh, you know, Steve Wood ended up scoring, you know, for with Greg McGillivray, that original filmmaker I was talking about. Mm-hmm. All those 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 beautiful soundtracks for all those IMAX movies. You know, you might know that. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know that, but I mean, I know the I know the yeah. IMAX movies, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, Everest and the, the Living Sea and Coral Reef and all that. On which he worked with Sting, you know, collaborated with Sting, George Harrison on another one, Crosby, Stills, and Nash Jeez. on another one. You know, yeah, and then would score for an orchestra and actually travel to Prague and conduct the orchestra there. You know, I mean, that's that's, that's who his dad is. You know. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it, they're incredible people. They're right. just the apple doesn't <laughs> fall far from the tree. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Amazing. I just wanted to say thank you, Nate. Your uncle Tris is just beyond proud, man. <laughs> thank I, you. I, so and nice. I'll definitely. I'm gonna. I'm sure you may talk to him before I do, but uh, I'll. Let, I'm. I'm definitely gonna at least send him the link and let him know that we chatted and that that we were that we were saying all sorts of mean stuff about him. So. <laughs> that way he'll listen that way he'll listen to it <laughs> yeah exactly he'll man you you won't believe what tris had to say about you again thank you uh this has been an absolute blast thank you so much for being a part of the podcast i do appreciate it and like i said would love to have you back anytime but uh but thank you for doing this Thanks for the opportunity, Nick. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you, bro. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it. The one and only Tris Imboden. I hope you dug that. And I hope that you got some of that enthusiasm that he has. I hope some of that will wear off on you because he has just this this undeniable force inside of him that he he loves being alive he loves playing music and he is just a good-hearted dude i'm so glad that i got him on the show so if you want to go to check out the links of everything that we talked about you can visit drummersresource.com forward slash session 267 also if you get value from this podcast if you dig this podcast if you want other people to know about the podcast do me a favor, go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. That helps the podcast show up higher in the search results, helps more people find out about it, which is good for us. It's good for drumming and it's good for your karma. So if you could do that, I would appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.